Having been consecrated by his brother Nephi, Jacob begins to preach unto the people that they may learn and glorify the name of their God. Relying heavily upon the poetic words of Isaiah, Jacob expounds on the boundless mercy offered by the Messiah to his covenant people, past, present, and future. Finally, pleading, Jacob cries out to all, O then, my beloved brethren, come unto the Lord, the Holy One. Remember that his paths are righteous. Behold, the way for man is narrow, but it lieth in a straight course before him. And the keeper of the gate is the Holy One of Israel, and he employeth no servant there. And there is none other way, save it be by the gate, for he cannot be deceived, for the Lord God is his name. I invite you to join us in our study of 2 Nephi chapters 6 through 10 of the Book of Mormon and encourage each of us to seek divine inspiration. Welcome to Come Follow Up. Mercy to me is forgiveness. I think that mercy is forgiveness um, for bad deeds that you've done. I feel like mercy is being forgiven for something that's just out of your reach of um, being able to fix yourself. I'm in high school still, so like in high school you make a lot of mistakes, and I just feel his mercy every time like I repent and stuff, because like he makes dumb mistakes, and it's just nice having the atonement there so you can make those dumb mistakes and learn from them and turn back to God. Time when I received mercy from my parents <laughs> is when I did something that I wasn't quite so proud of, and I felt guilty about it for months <laughs> and I eventually told them and they were actually very understanding and forgiving. To me, mercy is the love of God. Welcome everybody to our discussion on 2 Nephi chapters 6 through 10 of the Book of Mormon. My name is Ben Lomu and I'm your host. Our gospel scholar for today is Josh Matson. Josh is a scholar of the Bible and the Dead Sea Scrolls and a religious educator with seminaries and institutes of religion. He and his wife, Erin, are the parents of four children and live in Santa Quin, Utah. Welcome, Josh. It's great to be here, Ben. And seated next to Josh is our special guest, Melissa Dalton Bradford. Melissa is an author, public speaker, nonprofit co-founder, and mother of four who has lived in nine countries across Europe and Asia. She and her husband, Randall, served German-speaking missions, taught German at BYU and the MTC, and now live near Frankfurt, Germany. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you for having me. And we're also joined by our studio audience. Thank you all for being here today. Our discussions are built around the scriptures and complemented by the resource, Come Follow Me. Additional study and teaching material is available at byutv.org slash comefollowup. All right, Josh, would you mind giving us a big overview of these chapters we're going to be looking at today before we get into specifics? Yeah, so here in 2 Nephi, we've just had a great divide between those who are following Nephi and those who are following Laman and Lemuel. And so this is the first time that we're getting the split between the Nephites and the Lamanites. So it's in that context that Jacob, the younger brother of Nephi, is going to teach the people of Nephi at Nephi's request. So the first topic we're gonna to look at is the Lord is merciful to his people and will fulfill his covenants. How does that topic fit in with these chapters? Well, I love how Jacob says it himself. So if we go to 2 Nephi chapter 10, verse 20, 
Jacob speaking to the people, he says, And now, my beloved brethren, seeing that our merciful God has given us so great knowledge concerning these things, let us remember him and lay aside our sins and not hang down our heads, for we are not cast off. Nevertheless, we have been driven out of the land of our inheritance, but we have been led to a better land, for the Lord has made the sea our path, and we are upon an isle of the sea. And so this idea that God is merciful, that he's going to make a situation that sounds pretty glum. Uh, If I got kicked out of my house and the city that I just moved to after traveling for years across oceans, I probably would be hanging my head. Mm -hmm. But Jacob is saying, no, God is merciful. And he can say that because he trusts in the covenants that he's made with God. And why is Jacob quoting Isaiah in these chapters? Well, first, Nephi asks him to. But he says something really interesting in 2 Nephi chapter 6, verse 5. And now the words which I shall read are they which Isaiah spoke concerning all the house of Israel. Wherefore, they may be likened unto you, for ye are of the house of Israel. And there are many things which have been spoken by Isaiah, which may be likened unto you, because ye are of the house of Israel. So he wants to contextualize these chapters. He's going to quote from Isaiah 49, 50, 51. And he's going to quote from these chapters because they are applicable to their own situation. Mm -hmm. The being displaced, being driven away, and the the situation lends itself to saying, we're experiencing the same things that Isaiah was talking about. Melissa, how have you seen the Lord's mercy in the lives of those that have been displaced? Mm. Well, the whole Book of Mormon is a refugee narrative. It's people who are forcibly displaced, who are driven into the wilderness, who leave their identity, their cultures, and everything. And you just mentioned that we live in Frankfurt, Germany. We moved there from Switzerland, and we happened to have moved there just as Syria broke into a huge war. There was this influx of forcibly displaced people into Europe, and over a million of them landed right on our doorstep in Germany. So I worked with refugees, with people who had grabbed what they could and put it in a backpack and had crossed the waters, like we've just read here, on inflatable rafts. And I showed up and I used my MTC German teaching experience to teach these people with whom I had nothing in common really except our humanity and that I knew a little bit about moving. I taught them German, but what I learned from them was enormous and transformative for me. It's what we're gonna see here in the writings of Jacob, that when you are stripped of everything, that you know what is absolutely essential and it brings you to a knowledge of your God. And I learned from these people and I continue to learn from forcibly displaced people about what is really essential in life. One story of one Afghan woman who walked for three months from her war-torn city with her nine children. And the most important thing that she took in her backpack, that she took on the inflatable raft, that she wore as she was climbing up mountains, was her prayer rug. And to talk with these people and recognize that they knew that God was merciful to them, that God carried them, has been so impactful for my own testimony, so really powerful. That's what Isaiah is trying to talk about. The displaced people, the Jewish covenant people here, are going to be nurtured Mm -hmm. by the Gentiles. But then what's God going to do? He's going to bless those who nurture them. And those who welcome 
those who welcome those who are displaced, whether physically or spiritually. I mean, we can wander into or be driven into our own wildernesses without moving geographically necessarily. So I think that many people are seeking refuge. I remember standing at the main train station in Frankfurt with these great big signs, Willkommen in Deutschland, you know, welcome to Germany. Do we, figuratively speaking, do we hang up that same sort of banner when people are seeking refuge in our communities? We want you to feel safe. We want you to feel seen. We want you to feel loved and embraced. And that has application, I think, to everyone. You don't have to be living in the middle of Europe or someplace where forcibly displaced people are coming into your neighborhood. A lot of people need safety and refuge. And I feel like that's a message that is being encouraged for all of us to adopt is this idea of gathering Israel through opening our, our lives and ourselves to welcome all who are around us. What do we learn about Jacob and why is he feeling so anxious for his people? In 2 Nephi chapter 9, verse 48, he says, Behold, if ye were holy, I would speak unto you a holiness, but as ye are not holy, and ye look upon me as a teacher, it must needs be expedient that I teach you the consequences of sin. Mm. So he's seeing that his people are starting to stray off of the covenant path. Mm. And he goes, I'm responsible. God is gracious, but you are his covenant people, and there is an expectation that you need to live up to. Mm -hmm. Melissa, as we talked about earlier in the introduction, you've lived in a lot of different places all across the world. Mm -hmm. How have you been gathered in, or how have you felt welcomed by the people with whom you lived? I have been very fortunate to have a community, a faith community, waiting for me everywhere I go. It's been that synergy of people loving and caring for my children and being mentors for me in their culture and guiding me in serving in my faith community that has made all the difference, really. And we can't underestimate how vital that is to be part of this community that catches us and, and guides us when we move in these different places. It's, it's just an I, I can hardly put words to how, how vital that's been for our families 30 years on the road. How does that work, Josh? Somebody can be coming from a totally different background and culture. How does it work to where they can be so unified with a whole other culture in place? Mm. Well, I'm blown away when we think about our baptismal covenants, mm. that the covenants are so outward focused. It's about mourning with those that mourn and comforting those that stand in need of comfort. So it's the covenant that binds us. And that gets brought up in 2 Nephi chapter 6. Jacob is going to quote Isaiah 49, 24 through 26, but he's going to add an entire line. Verse 17, But thus saith the Lord, Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. But mm. then this is the addition, For the mighty God shall deliver his covenant people, for thus saith the Lord. That entire phrase is not in our editions of Isaiah, going even back okay. to the oldest editions. It's added in the Book of Mormon. Ultimately, God in his mercy is going to find a way to deliver his covenant people. I would love to hear from the audience as we're talking about God's mercy and his willingness to deliver his children. When have you felt God's love and mercy in your life? Cameron. One of the times I felt God's mercy was when I was moving into the deacon's quorum. Um, going in there, it was worrying, right? I was going from the oldest in the primary group to the youngest 
And when I got there, the priests in the ward were just so kind and willing to accept all us young people into the quorum. You know, and I, I say thank you, Cameron. I think it's a great example of how often God expresses his love and mercy through us to other people. He uses us as a, as a tool, as a mechanism to extend that. And we see that through anybody who feels displaced or new in a community. And it's just hearkening back to the wonderful teachings in Mosiah 18. It's, it's Alma saying, you want to be part of the Christian community? You get close enough that you can bear one another's burdens. Mm -hmm. So it's part of the basic covenant that we make at baptism. It's to be close to one another. You don't have to live in Europe, as amazing as that would be. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you don't have to live close to one of these crises no. to open up and make somebody feel welcome. Mm -hmm. uh, I loved Cameron's story because of the fact that in our wards, we have new people moving in. Mm -hmm. We have people that are changing classes. We have people in new situations. Mm -hmm. That gives us an opportunity to be able to do that. Gathering Israel means making sure that everyone feels that they belong Mm -hmm. no matter where they are. Yes, beautifully put. What does Isaiah have to say about that, the importance of the covenant that God makes with the house of Israel and how that relates to our responsibilities? Well, if we go back to 2 Nephi chapter 8, covenant language is all over the place. I love verse 7 and 8. Hearken unto me, ye that know righteousness, the people in whose heart I have written my law. There's the covenant people. Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither be ye afraid of their revilings. For the moth shall eat them like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wool. But my righteousness shall be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. If you have made covenants with me, Isaiah is saying, don't worry about what the world is going to do or say. God will take care of it. <laughs> Melissa, how has making and keeping your covenants given you strength with our Heavenly Father? Just last Sunday, I was sitting in our sacrament meeting in Frankfurt, and it occurred to me that the word for flesh in German is Leib. The word for a loaf of bread is Leib. It's the same word. And when I take the sacrament, I'm actually taking the body or the loaf of bread that's been ripped apart, torn for me. And it was really moving, thinking, no matter how ripped apart I feel, it's by taking the sacrament and renewing my covenants that I know that my Savior has been torn apart for me. I'm a mother of four children, and one of them is no longer with us anymore in mortality. Um, perfectly healthy star athlete child who was in a water accident at the age of 18, the first week that he was at university. And um, our Parker, that's his name, dove into this canal twice to save the life of a fellow, fellow classmate who was drowning. And that other student survived, but um, I got the phone call to drive five hours in the night and find my son in a deep coma. Um, when it was clear that my beautiful child no longer was alive, he was brain dead, we turned off the ventilator. And in that moment, I felt myself die in many ways. I felt like a bomb had gone off in my body, in our lives. I did not know, even though I'm a woman of faith, I did not know how we were gonna make it. I didn't know how I was going to keep living without my son in this world. And I had never doubted that life is eternal. I didn't doubt that the Savior loves me and loves my child. But I doubted my ability to go on in such a broken state. 
It's in those months and those years when I would figuratively crawl to sacrament meeting and feel strength enter my body when I took the emblems of the sacrament, either from grave sin, grave sorrow, or from the grave itself. Christ has conquered death. It's conquered for us. And that is the great sublime plan of our Father. It's what Jacob is trying to help his people understand. This is your hope, like my refugee friends who literally flung their lives and their children onto inflatable rafts to cross a body of water in the middle of the night that was, they were manned by smugglers. They flung themselves onto this raft, and that's the way I feel about my Savior, Jesus Christ, that I can fling myself onto that raft. I felt it. I've lived it. He's been my only hope. I myself am living proof that you can feel dead and shattered and ripped apart, and the power of the atonement, the power of covenants can bring you back to life. He has kept me from drowning in sorrow. And, and I want to testify that we can all do that. We can trust our God with our lives and with the lives of our, our beloveds. Melissa, thank you so much for sharing such a beautiful story and how it really is a true illustration of God's love and mercy and fulfillment of his covenants. Thank you both so much. And for the audience, thanks so much for being here also and for sharing with us. And for those at home, how do you faithfully strive to keep your covenants? Share with us on any of our social media platforms. Having a testimony of the atonement in my life helps me understand that everything is not like the end all be all, tomorrow's another day, and that I have purpose to try and be better. It's just so special that you could like make mistakes and God will still love you and like take you back. I feel like when he died for all of us and he resurrected, he saved all of us because he gave us a chance to repent. Christ has saved me by giving me the principles by which to live that would save me. It's powerful for me to know that we live beyond the grave. Those we love live beyond the grave and they're right here. The second topic we're going to be discussing is Jesus Christ saves me from sin and death. Do you mind setting us up for this discussion, Josh? Yeah, so we spent the first part really talking about these Isaiah chapters that are trying to emphasize God's mercy for his covenant people. Uh, now we're going to get Jacob's commentary. He's going to provide the interpretation and he's going to focus it on the Savior. Melissa, as you were sharing your story about your son, I couldn't help but think about the difference that it made in your life as you viewed Jesus Christ and his atonement before and after that experience? Absolutely. It had been theory, theory that I believed, and it was the moment when it became a personal narrative. And I experienced from day to day, even hour to hour, how I was really hopeless and helpless without that sustaining power, that comfort, that it took on a completely different meaning for me. And I hungered, as I had never hungered before, to be close to the Spirit. One wise writer once wrote, joy is not the absence of pain. Joy is the presence of God. 
And so my husband and I um, really sought to be as close as we could to the Spirit. We turn to our Heavenly Father. We listen for those answers. We get quiet so that we can recognize the Spirit. And we realized quickly that when we were close to the Spirit, that we felt strength. We felt not only the Holy Spirit, but we felt Parker's Spirit. And that was transformative for us. Can I share just one experience that I had? Of course. It was the night after we had driven from this ICU, after we had turned off the life support and watched our child take his last breath, that I was lying in my childhood bed in my parents' basement and I was weeping, as you can imagine. I was just shot through. And I saw what I thought in this, in this dream, this half-awake dream. I saw what I thought was like a long rope and it was kind of moving. And then I realized as the picture grew clearer that it was hands reaching and pulling one another. And the Spirit made it clear that these were mortal hands and immortal hands, all ethnicities, all ages, and they're just clasping, they're reaching for one another, and they're pulling one another along. And it was in that moment I realized there's this sublime synergy that's going on around us all of the time of spirits that are reaching for us, particularly our family members that have preceded us in death. And they're pulling us along. That's the cosmic machinery. That's the grand plan of God that Jacob is preaching to his people about, that the spirit world and the mortal world, through the atonement of Christ, are all pulling us along, constantly reaching out to us to bring us to joy. It was so powerful for me. And, and Melissa, as you're saying that, Jacob actually gives us that assurance. In 2 Nephi chapter 9, verse 7, wherefore it must needs be an infinite atonement. The infinite atonement of Jesus Christ allows us to enter back into the presence of the Father. And sometimes that's now. It helps us to come back into God's presence when hard things happen, mm -hmm. uh, when we experience the loss that we will experience. Right. But it's the atonement that connects us. And everything you're saying is so beautiful. President Monson speaks of physical death and the power of the atonement. He says, of all the tests we face, none hurts more than the death of a loved one. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all are delivered from death and all will rise in the resurrection. And by the atonement of Jesus Christ, all may gain peace in this life, washed clean from the sorrows of sin and have a hope of a glorious resurrection. We had a question that came in from one of our viewers. Uh, I'd love to discuss it and then provide some answers. Hi, my name's Lucy Samuelson, and I have a question. How do you remember God when you go through disappointing things? I, I love Lucy's question because we all are gonna experience disappointment. That was another part of the fall, is that disappointment is what we would all experience. In Hebrew, the word for repent is shuv, and the direct translation is to turn back. So when disappointing things happen, I need to turn back to God. Mm -hmm. And that's what Jacob's really trying to encourage the people in chapter nine of doing is, are you going to turn to God in these hard times that you're experiencing? And they're really micro decisions. That's at least been my experience. The micro decision can be, 
Am I going to close my eyes and am I going to seek God in prayer? Will I heave my body out of bed on Sunday morning and will I trudge into church? They're really small decisions and accumulated, compounded, they actually turn us to God. And I'll tell you, when hard things happen, we'll turn to a whole bunch of other stuff that will never heal us. It's where we turn to addictions. It's where we turn to distractions. It's where we want to run from our pain. It's actually through that wilderness experience that Jacob is experiencing. It's facing it, naming it, going into it, and following the Savior through it that we discover a God who is close, who is merciful, who is loving, who is aware of us, and carrying us through our wilderness. As you were talking about, Melissa, is when hard things happen, I can turn to this, or I can turn to this, or I can turn to this. If I have complete faith, I'm turning my whole self to Jesus yeah. and saying, Lord, here I am. <laughs> I'm not complete, I'm suffering, but I want you to heal me. And then the blessings that will come for this in verse 26, for the atonement satisfieth the demands of his justice upon all those. Uh, so everyone, the atonement will satisfy those demands of justice. And what I love too, my personal experience has been that when we do that micro turn, that whatever, whatever we can do, the Savior's already standing there waiting for us. He's running towards us all of the time, all of the time. I'd love to hear from the audience, when have you turned to Jesus Christ during a difficult time in your life? Josue. I remember, so we, we got two kids and then we, we lost another kid, our third one. We were seeking for help. We got blessed with two, two kids at a time, with twins. Mm -hmm. Then we were having a hard time with them because they were at a hospital. And then we found out that they were kids with cerebral palsy. And I remember my wife asking me, we need to go to the temple. We need to go and we need to ask our Heavenly Father why. My wife and I, we went to the temple and we found answers. They, they are here to teach us and to help us to become a better disciples of Christ. It was a spiritual reason why he trusts in us to take care of his kids. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. As, as Josue was talking, I couldn't help but think about that emphasis on doing a spiritual and not just a, a worldly uh, thing to find that hope. And I think that's what Jacob is trying to emphasize in verse 28 of 2 Nephi, in chapter 9. Oh, that cunning plan of the evil one, the vainness and the frailties and the foolishness of men. When they are learned, they think they are wise, and they hearken not unto the counsel of God. For they set it aside, supposing they know of themselves. Wherefore, their wisdom is foolishness, and it profiteth them not, and they shall perish." I've never thought of that verse until Josue was talking about it in this light, that Jacob's probably not talking about intellectual education. It's when do we put our trust in the arm of flesh rather than in the arm of God? Mm. So Josh, we've been talking a lot about overcoming the effects of physical death through the atonement. Jacob speaks in verse seven of chapter nine that there must needs be an infinite atonement 
Can you talk to us a little bit about that and what else that involves and includes? Yeah, uh, I had the opportunity as an undergraduate at BYU to study the different types of power that the atonement has. And it's not just redeeming, it's not just resurrecting, but it can be therapeutic, mm -hmm. it can be healing, it can be empowering. And the Book of Mormon does an amazing job throughout its pages of showing us the different ways that we can rely wholly upon the atonement. That's what I think this infinite idea is. The therapeutic power of the atonement helps us to be strengthened. Do you mind if I add a story to that? It was two years out from having buried our eldest son, and I was still really struggling at some point. And our tradition had always been to invite a bunch of missionaries over for Thanksgiving, no matter where we were living in the world, and Thanksgiving was coming up. And I didn't want to be around missionaries because they looked just like Parker. So I was struggling in prayer one night, reading my scriptures, and I said, Heavenly Father, I need a paradigm. Just give me a role model so I can get out of this, this heaviness. The Spirit spoke to me and said, First Samuel, start at the beginning. And it was just as clear as that, as Josue had just described. I went to the Old Testament, and I went to First Samuel, and I read the chapter heading, and I realized what it was about. It was about Hannah, who had begged for a child, had a child, named him Samuel, weaned him, and gave him back to the Lord. And as I turned the page, I realized that after she gave her son back to God, she didn't curl up in the nautilus of grief and close her blinds and check out of life. She starts singing praises to God. And only God could have known that I was a professional singer for years. And I thought with Parker's death, I would never ever sing again. That Thanksgiving I was singing. And that also was an experience of Christ touching me softly through the power, the enabling power of the atonement, answering me in specificity that only God could have known and gave me my role model, beautiful Hannah. The Israelites, as they left, they sing. <laughs> and so often in the scriptures, we see music as a way of being a balm of Gilead on our troubled souls. Josh, we learn about in these chapters that Christ doesn't only save us from physical death, but also spiritual death. Uh, can we jump back into chapter 9 and take a look at where we learn about this? Yeah, so if we go back to chapter 9, uh, Jacob's going to make this link. Verse 12, he says, And this death which I have spoken, which is the spiritual death, that's that separation we talked about earlier of being cut off from the presence of God. Mm -hmm. But what does the atonement do? Wherefore, death and hell must deliver up their dead, and hell must deliver up its captive spirits, and the grave must deliver up its captive bodies, and the bodies and the spirits of men will be restored one to another, and it is by the power of the resurrection of the Holy One of Israel. And so as we're talking there about death and the grave, that's that physical death, mm -hmm. but hell in this context for Jacob, that is the spiritual separation from God. Mm -hmm. And the atonement of Jesus Christ is what helps us to be able to overcome that. Jacob does a wonderful job of saying this stuff is not just for later. This can be used in our lives right now. Melissa, how do you find comfort in the idea that the atonement is all-encompassing? Hmm. I can say the atonement has worked miracles in my life, but every person that I cross on the street, every person that I stand next to in the grocery store, the atonement is not just something for me 
It is for every single person, like me, not like me, whoever was, whoever will be. And, and that is because every morsel of creation is beloved of God. And as Latter-day Saints, we have a really expansive view mm -hmm. of this atonement influence. Yes. In 2 Nephi chapter 9, verse 25, wherefore he has given a law, and where there is no law given, there is no punishment. How merciful is that of our Heavenly Father? Mm -hmm. And where there is no punishment, there is no condemnation. And where there is no condemnation, the mercies of the Holy One of Israel have claim upon them because of the atonement for they are delivered by the power of Him. Mm. The atonement reaches out to them. Everyone has access to the atonement of Jesus Christ, no matter who they are and no matter where they are in their lives. This has been such a beautiful conversation mm -hmm. about how through Jesus Christ, we can be saved from sin and death. Thank you both so very much. And for our audience, thanks so much for joining us today and for sharing your thoughts and testimonies as well. And for you at home, we still have much to cover in footnotes. Stay with us. The Spirit speaks to me in gentle nudges, in powerful affirmations, and in incredible feelings of being in the right place at the right time. The Spirit communicates with me through small actions, um, especially when it has to do with memory, like being able to remember to read my scriptures, to pray, to talk to a friend. I feel inspired by having little thoughts, just uh, ideas popping out in my head. I feel the spirit through people and like people's experiences. I feel the spirit um, when I feel peace in my life, in my mind, in my heart, with my wife, when we, ha we can gather together and talk about our kids, our future. I can feel the spirit in every step that we are taking forward. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions from 2 Nephi chapters 6 through 10 with Josh and Melissa. Okay, Josh, I want to pick up on this idea of gathering. Here we have Jacob who is being displaced, yet he has such a positive attitude about the gathering. Can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so we referenced at the beginning this idea in 2 Nephi chapter 10, verse 20. We are not cast off. Nevertheless, we have been driven out of the land of our inheritance. So he recognizes, yes, we've been driven. Now, whether he's referencing Jerusalem, so we're going all the way back to Lehi and, mm -hmm. and the rest of them, is he going back to that? Or is he talking about that land that they first inherited that the Lamanites kicked them out of towards the land of mm -hmm. Nephi? Right. So one of those two lands he's talking about, but then he says this, but we have been led to a better land for the Lord has made the sea our path and we are upon the isle of the sea. So he says, yeah, that was the land of our inheritance, but we're going to a better land. And that word land throughout these chapters is fascinating to me because he uses it in the plural. Looking just at the page over in 2 Nephi 10 verse seven, at the end of the verse he says that they shall be restored in the flesh upon the earth unto the lands of their inheritance. We can cross-reference 2 Nephi 10, seven with 2 Nephi 6, 11, where he says, Nevertheless, the Lord will be merciful unto them, and when they shall come to the knowledge of their Redeemer, they shall be gathered together again to the lands of their inheritance. Hmm. 
And so this plural idea of lands, we sometimes really get caught up in this is the most important land. Uh, But I love what President Nelson taught. The gathering place for saints in Korea is Korea. The gathering place for saints in Brazil is Brazil. Why? Because all of the earth is actually our inheritance. We don't need to be connected to just one specific land, but we have multiple lands of inheritance. And Jacob seemed to recognize that. So Melissa, you have lived in many lands. Yes. How do you see the gathering taking place in all the different lands in which you've lived? So we lived for years in Paris. Imagine walking into your French meeting and when you're getting ready for the sacrament, first your Chinese brethren come and they bless it all in Mandarin. And then after that, then in French. There are pods like that in major areas of Europe where people who are moving for whatever reason, it could be, like I've said, people who are forcibly displaced, but there are people who are coming for economic purposes, there are people who are coming for studies. So you have another kind of diaspora happening all around the world, and people who might not have had an opportunity to exercise their religion in one country or even encounter another religion have an opportunity to do that. So when I was very involved, with Middle Eastern refugees that were coming to Germany, I remember a beautiful moment where we brought some of the people that we had been teaching German to church. They had never had the liberty to even investigate Christianity because of the reign of the Taliban where they lived. And here they all are sitting in a row with us, experiencing what Christianity was for the first time. It left such an impression on me, and that's happening all over the world, we could talk about that for hours. Wow. And how great is it that we live in a day where that gathering also relates to making covenants and entering the temple. Mm-hmm. And as President Nelson and as the church continues to grow and announce more temples, we're having temples closer and closer where people can have a land of inheritance. And, and that idea, inheritance in antiquity was tied to this birthright and right. that covenant ideology. And so we're building temples throughout the world. And so we don't need to just gather in one place. We can gather throughout the world and the Lord is building his kingdom by bringing the temples to people throughout mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. So Josh, something we really haven't touched on much is chapter 10. Uh, Would you mind kind of walking us through and pointing out anything that stands out to you that you think would be beneficial for us to discuss? Yeah, so 2 Nephi chapter 10 is fascinating. We see in 2 Nephi chapter 9 verse 54 that he has preached to the people this fairly long chapter. I think of myself gathering my children and reading and and reading 54 verses is a lot. Mm -hmm. And so you can see maybe the people were a little weary. And Jacob goes, I can read my audience. (laughs) I can see that we're almost done. And so he says in verse 54, and now my brethren, I would speak unto you more, but on the morrow, I will declare unto you the remainder of my words, amen. So there's the end of the meeting. We then flip the page and sometimes uh, you and I, we either flip the page and just go right into chapter 10 or we wait a day or sometimes Uh longer. But I love what Jacob says. Now I, Jacob, speak unto you concerning my beloved brethren, concerning this righteous branch of which I have spoken. So he's gonna talk about that. But then this fascinating experience happens in verse three. Wherefore, as I said unto you, it must needs be expedient that Christ, for in the last night the angel spake unto me that this should be his name, should come among the Jews. 
So he's pausing. Obviously, the day before, he did not think, I'm going to reference Christ for the first time in the Book of Mormon. Mm-hmm. We have not seen- he didn't know at that time. He didn't. And we haven't mm. seen the title of Christ anywhere in the Book of Mormon or in the Old Testament before this. Wow. Now, Stunning. And so our very first reference specifically to the name of Christ in the Book of Mormon comes in verse three. Jacob's been talking about it, but now he's getting a little bit more. And I think sometimes in our lives, Jacob probably thought he had it all together and yet he still needed to learn. Mm -hmm. And he opened himself up to more revelation. Mm -hmm. And verse three teaches me that no matter what I might want to say in a meeting or have prepared or whatever I might know, there's still more I could say and I could learn and I need to be humble enough to let the Lord teach me. That is a vital lesson. I love that. I hadn't thought of that before. That in between one chapter Mm -hmm. and the next, Jacob himself is being off script. He's being tutored by the Spirit, and he's asked this essential question. He said, is there more? Is there more that I don't know? And there he's able to then share it with his people. That's a really powerful thought. So where do you find, you've, you've lived in, in so many places, yeah. where do you find that place that God has prepared for you, even if it's not a physical location? It's in the rituals that you can carry with you. It's exactly what my refugee friends have done who are very devout in their faith. It's what the pioneers did. It's what the Israelites did. They took sacredness with them and they created it. For us, as we were raising our four children across uh, many different countries, it was about attending our church meetings. It was about praying together as a family. It was about reading scripture together. This all sounds like the most obvious recipe, but that is how you create a sacred place or a sanctuary. You know, our home would become the sacred place for us. And I think what you're speaking to, Melissa, is also spoken by Jacob in, in 2 Nephi chapter 9. In verse 53, he says, And behold, how great the covenants of the Lord, and how great his condescensions unto the children of men. And because of his greatness and his grace and mercy, he has promised unto us that our seed shall not utterly be destroyed Mm. according to the flesh, but that he would preserve them. And in future generations, thou shalt become a righteous branch unto the house of Israel. And so it's the covenants that if if we are part of that great covenant, if we take those covenants, How many early saints talked about how the temple and participating in the ordinances of the temple were what gave them the strength to go through the hardships to get to the Rocky Mountains. Yes. It was a knowledge of their place with God, Mm -hmm. knowing they've made specific promises with God and that God has given specific promises to them, Mm -hmm. oftentimes connected not just for them, but for their seeds. Mm -hmm. And on that topic, It's important for me to remember that my faithfulness to my covenants as a covenant-bound woman have power in the lives of others. The Savior, our Father's model also, is that He maintains the relationship with us, regardless of where we are on the path. I'm sure that I disappoint Heavenly Father all of the time. And and God is always preserving the relationship with me, always. And, and, and that is critical for me to remember as a parent, that like our father, we remain lovingly engaged in the lives of our children. Let me, let me tell you, um, it was within that first year after our Parker passed into the spirit world. I had a dream, and in this dream, I'm walking through the city we were living in. It was Munich, Germany. And I'm walking through the streets at night, and I'm aware that my children are following me. And then I hear one of my, my youngest child at the time 
sort of complaining or crying and I swing around to, you know, ream out whoever is bothering my youngest child. And there's Parker and he's standing there holding my youngest child, who at that time was just a seven-year-old, in his arms. And instead of reaming him out, I, my heart cracks open and I lean into him and I take him by the shoulders and I say, Parker, tell me everything you've learned. That's all I wanted to know because I knew that he had been in the spirit world and he'd been learning at turbo speed. Tell me everything you've learned. And I'm holding him by the shoulders and he looks into my eyes and he says, every relationship is to bring us to Christ. And I thought, that's it? What? What? And I said, what? And then he stepped back and he was gone. That phrase, every relationship is to bring us to Christ, for me is at the very, very heart of this grand and sublime plan of our Heavenly Father, that we're totally dependent on Christ, but we're dependent on one another too. And our children, our adult children, if they choose a different way of living, I am learning from them. I am learning things about love and faith. So that's sort of one of my mottos for life, and, and, I, and it comes back frequently to remind me every relationship is to bring us to a knowledge of our Savior and to bring us all eventually back into at-one-ment with Him. And how, and how wonderful is that when we think of the words in, in section 128 of the Doctrine and Covenants from the prophet Joseph Smith, he's speaking of the dead, but with what you were saying, their salvation is necessary and essential to our salvation. Yeah. How does that change the way we look at one another? Mm -hmm. Everything, Absolutely. everything. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and I think that's what Jacob is trying to get the Nephites to understand is you need to change the way that you look at your brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. We're in this together. We have a strong relationship, but how are we gonna maintain that? And he, he, he spells it out. He gives them a lot of warnings. He, he gives this beautiful, these beautiful words about the atonement and what it can do. And then he says, but please be careful. Don't get sucked into this trap with all these woes that he goes on and explains. Yeah. Do you wanna walk us through that a little bit, Josh? Yeah, so in, in 2 Nephi chapter nine, starting in verse 30, we get these woes that come up where he specifically is stating, this, these are the things that you need to be aware of. Mm -hmm. So the first one, it says, woe unto the rich. And if we stop there, we go, okay. Okay, I'm safe. Everybody who's <laughs> rich, everyone who's rich, they're the ones who are the problem. But he explains it. He says, no, 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 no. It's not just that they're rich. It's because they're rich, they despise the poor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They persecute the meek. Their hearts are upon their treasures. Wherefore, their treasure is their God. Yes. And behold, their treasure shall perish with them also. Mm -hmm. So it's not the riches that are the problem. Yeah. It's what their focus is mm -hmm. and what it's making them do. So we have to keep that in mind for all the other woes. So verse 31, woe unto the deaf that will not hear. He's not speaking of physical here. Mm -hmm. He's talking about those who are spiritually deaf who won't listen to the word of the Lord. So do we sometimes say, no, I already know it all. Mm -hmm. I've been around a long time. I've been a member of the church for X amount of years. Mm -hmm. 32, woe unto the blind that will not see. Have we become so narrow focused that we don't see a neighbor or a friend or a church member who needs our help? Uh, verse 33, woe unto the uncircumcised of heart. This idea of circumcision is covenantal. Mm -hmm. as are the covenants that we've made engraven upon our hearts? Mm. Or have I made those covenants 
in action, but not deep down into my heart. Mm -hmm. And so then verse 34, woe unto the liar, mm. woe unto the murderer who deliberately killeth. Verse 36, woe unto them who commit whoredoms. Uh, and verse 37, woe unto them who worship idols. And then the last one in 38, and in fine, woe unto all those who die in their sins. He's saying, we've talked about some great doctrines, but are you gonna cut it off by participating in these things that put you at odds yeah. with your neighbor. I was thinking about you, Josh, in verse 29. <laughs> <laughs> to be learned is good if they hearken into the counsels of God. What do we get from this? And I'm sure being you know, in academia, you've kind of felt some of that pressure of, you know, what it means to be learned, learned and, and how to find that balance as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Yeah, well, and, and it is hard. When, when I think of my own life, Admittedly, at times we'll go to Sunday school and be like, oh, I know this. But, but look at verse 42 in 2 Nephi 9. And whoso knocketh to him will he open. And the wise and the learned and they that are rich, who are puffed up because of their learning and their wisdom and their riches. Yeah. There's the rub. Mm -hmm. There's the qualification. If our riches, if our wisdom and our learning cause us to be puffed up because of them, that's when they become a problem. Mm -hmm. If I think I'm better than someone else because I have worldly wealth or wisdom, that's when I've crossed the line. Grateful that Jacob continues and says, yea, they are they whom he despiseth, meaning the Lord. And save they shall cast these things away and consider themselves fools before God and come down in the depths of humility, he will not open unto them. Mm -hmm. And so there's the way out. I've fallen into this trap. But if I will cast those things aside and say, no, I was foolish. Mm -hmm. It was wrong of me to think that way. In our family, it's better to be kind than to be right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Am I viewing others in a kind way and using what the Lord's blessed me with to bless them? Mm -hmm. Or do I use it for my own personal gratification? Mm. That's the difference between being foolish and being wise. I love having you here, Josh. You're so great <laughs> at really opening these things up. Is there any, anywhere else you wanna take us? Uh, maybe this is the theme for me in these, in these chapters, is that we've been driven, but the Lord has had a better land for us. Mm. He has a better experience. Mm. Sometimes in our lives, when the struggles come, as we've talked about today, we're gonna have hardship, we're gonna have death, we're gonna have loss. When those come, that hard thing may be the exact thing we need for something even more magnificent. Mm -hmm. And All I think it's important that we also keep in mind that these difficulties, because I understand this, I understand our human tendency to say, I'm being punished. And I can imagine any of Jacob's people saying, we're being punished, we're out here, we're floundering out in some wilderness. We could have been back with all of our wealth. We could have been in a stable place. We could have been in the land of our inheritance, so to speak. I've kind of learned over time that rather than a punishment, it's a, it's a preparation. The wilderness is a preparation that has purpose. And that purpose is to bring us to a knowledge of our God that we otherwise never would have had. Oh, I can't say enough about Jacob. Love Jacob. <laughs> Melissa, as you were saying that, I, I thought about the ancient context of the word wilderness. 
uh, is Jesus goes in the wilderness to be with God. He mm -hmm. strips himself of that. Um, my personal studies are in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and yes. in some of those ancient texts, the community talks about we're going to the wilderness because we want to be closer to God. Mm -hmm. um, and that wilderness is a barren desert, but we sometimes need the wilderness. Mm -hmm. And that's what Laman and Lemuel didn't understand. Right. Our dad is a visionary man. Why is he taking us away from this? We already have everything that we need, mm -hmm. but those who understand are willing to say, Lord, take me where I need to go. And sometimes it's through the wilderness. And the line from Come Come Ye Saints comes to mind, <laughs> we'll find a place which God for us prepared. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's really the mentality we should have, mm -hmm. is what is the place, what is the lands or the land of our inheritance that we should be focused and earnestly seeking for God to take mm -hmm. us to? And should we die before our journey's through? Happy day. All is well, maybe not in the moment, <laughs> but in the eternities, that all is in our Redeemer's hands. That's beautiful. It's been such a wonderful discussion. Melissa, I love learning about your life. It is so unique and it's filled with adventure and overcoming trial and tragedy. Mm. After everything you've been through, what keeps you on the covenant path? It is love. It is a gospel of love. This is what Jacob is teaching us about. It's Christ's love. It's this God who condescends to this clot of earth and, and when I think, when I just think of the Savior and I think of this love, and I have personal experience where I have felt His love alive and active in my life and in the lives of those that I care the most about. When I think of that love and that sacrifice, what else can I do but want to love in return? I mean, what else can we do? This plan is so grand and sublime. How can I show the Savior that I'm grateful? Well, he's told us. He says, just go out there and love as much as you can with no conditions, with no stipulations, with no agendas. Just go out there and, and love. I'm so grateful that my life mattered enough to a God that it would be sacrificed for me. And what I want to do in return is just give my heart. Well, you're succeeding at it because we can feel it. Thank you so much for being here today and sharing your experiences and your spirit. Thank it's you. been a pleasure. That's a kind thing to say. It's been and Josh, to be it's so wonderful always being with you and having you enlighten our minds. Uh, and I'm happy to call you my friend. And for those watching at home, thank you for joining us for this discussion from 2 Nephi chapters 6 through 10. Visit byutv.org slash come follow up for more study and teaching resources. And join us next week as we study 2 Nephi chapters 11 through 19 and discuss prophecies of redemption through Christ by Nephi and Isaiah. Thank you for watching. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting. 